Good morning, church. Good to see you. Good to hear your voices raised to praise the Lord. And that song right there was full of love, it sounded like to me. And I hope that we are understanding and believing and trusting that the Lord is so full of love that he could love even ones like us. But we have a problem thinking about God's love and his mercy and how great is his love and his mercy toward us. Our problem is, well, we got lots of problems, but one, one big problem is um, what also was in that song and in the other songs that we sang, that sin keeps us, divides us away from God. So what's the, what's the solution to, the, to this? That God is so full of love and so full of mercy, and he wants to rain down his love and his mercy on a whole world full of people, but sin divides us away from God. Some would think, well, here's the way God will do it. He will, he's got a great big giant broom, and he'll just sweep all of our sin underneath his big giant mercy rug. But that's not what the Bible says. One of those songs that we sang, we sang Amazing Grace, and then coupled with a chorus that talked about how his, his mercy reigns, but it also talked about redemption. That unless there is a redeemer to take away our sin, not sweep it under a rug, but to take it away, the penalty of it, the condemnation of it, then we won't know that mercy reigning. We were reading, here's, I think I've told you all before that one way that I get books read is Joy reads them to me <laughs> while we're riding in the car. So it's a beautiful morning to ride out from our house. It takes about 40 minutes to get here. So Joy read about 30 minutes of the 40. And we came across this little gem. Maybe some of you have heard of a guy named Horatius Bonar, who was a Scottish preacher back in the 1800s. And he was thinking about and wondering about and reading scripture about the love of God, the mercy of God, and yet the justice of God. And this is, this is what he wrote. God is a father, but he is no less a judge. Shall the judge give way to the father or the father give way to the judge? Shall he sink his love to the sinner in his hatred of the sin or his hatred of the sin in his love to the sinner? Now, let me say that sentence again because it puzzles me and it might puzzle you. Shall he sink his love to the sinner in his hatred of the sin? In other words, will, will God's hatred of sin sink his love? Or... Will his hatred of the sin be sunk in his love to the sinner? Now there's a puzzle. How's he going to do both? How's he going to love sinners and hate sin? How can a God of justice, who pro what did God promise about sin and life? He said to Adam, the first guy who decided to sin, what did he say? In the day that you eat, of the fruit of that tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall have a bad day. Is that what he said? He said, you shall surely die. And to Ezekiel the prophet, 
God said two things. He said that he has no pleasure in the death of the sinner, and yet he has also sworn that the soul that sinneth it shall die. Are those two things true? God has no pleasure in the death of the sinner. Why? Because he's a God of mercy. And yet, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. Which of those two shall he erase and say, well, I'm going to pretend like I didn't say the one, and I'm going to hold to the other. Will he sink his love for the sinner in his hatred of sin? Will he be just that way? Or will he sink his hatred of the sin in his love for the sinner? Well, our God, this is amazing. We could not do both of those. We would have to do one or the other, but our God has accomplished both. In the person, in the life, and the work, and the death, and the resurrection of our Redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's the message of the gospel that needs to be heard by every heart here and every heart in the world. In Honduras, and in Smithfield, and in Louisville, and in Timbuktu, and in India, and in England, and every place in between. That's the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the message of the church. And I trust and I believe that's the message of this church, of Smithfield. I heard, and I think you all are going to hear more maybe on Wednesday, about, about the trip to Honduras. Is that right? I think I heard that rumor. If, you, if it's not Wednesday, it, it's going to be coming around, I think. And, and what, a wonderful, what a wonderful thing that this church wants to be involved in and is involved in taking the gospel of Jesus Christ even to the dusty trails of Honduras. And I understand they are dusty down there. And the dusty trails of Henry County. And it can be dusty here too. And it can be parched here just as parched as it is in Honduras. Hearts, I'm not talking about roads and trails, I'm talking about hearts who've not yet heard this sweet gospel message, that God Almighty, the just God who hates sin and will not allow sin or those who cling to it and love it to come into His holy presence, and yet He also says, come. I want you to come, Hondurans and Smithfieldians, Kentuckians, people from all over the world, from every tribe and tongue and people and nation, come to me and receive life from me and eternal life and come into my home, my household, that God would make us his children through faith in Jesus Christ. As many as received him, the Redeemer, he gives the power to become the children of God. That's good news. And we're going to read about the good news here in Acts chapter 13. I want you to turn there. By the way, I give you greetings from Emmanuel Baptist Church. Uh, they're meeting right now. Uh, take a moment to lift up a prayer for them that the gospel be preached there clearly as we pray it will be here. The beginning of Acts 13 marks a, a big change, a, a pivotal point, a foundational point in the history of the church. You know that the church was founded. The church is the body of Christ. It was founded where? In Jerusalem. That's where they had the first church. The Holy Spirit came down. The Lord Jesus had promised, when my spirit comes down, you'll be empowered, you'll, be, you'll receive power, and you'll be my witnesses. And so the church was born, we say, there in Jerusalem. But was the Lord Jesus content to leave 
the church there in Jerusalem and it be stuck there and only there? No. He said, take, be witnesses to me, not only in Jerusalem, but in Samaria, Judea and Samaria, and then to the uttermost part of the earth. Everywhere. All tribes, all nations, all people need to hear this message of the love of God and the justice of God brought together in the cross of Jesus Christ. And so, the church began to spread. In the book of Acts, you'll, as Brother Caleb said just a little bit ago, you'll see how the church went out, not just stuck in Jerusalem, went on out into other places in the land of Israel, into Samaria of all places. And then out further than that, and then the next nation to the northeast is you geography students. What's the nation to the northeast of Israel? It's got a capital city called Damascus. That would be Syria. And in Syria, there was a city called Antioch. And we're going to read about that place, Antioch, and that church in Antioch. Uh, Brother Caleb read the first five verses where it says that they had a prayer meeting, a worship meeting. They were gathered together and worshiping the Lord, praying and fasting. And it says that the Holy Spirit said to these, there were five leaders. And who were they? They were Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, and Saul. That would be Saul of Tarsus, who would be called a little later Paul the Apostle. These five were leaders of the church. They were prophets and teachers. They were gathered together, serving the Lord, worshiping the Lord. And the Spirit of God said, set aside, set apart for me, this is in verse 2, Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And we're going to read about what that work was, but that work involved going forth then, not staying in Antioch, but going out to places they'd never dreamed of and never thought of going to before and sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. This message of God's mercy and justice brought together in the cross of Christ, calling people to faith in this Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And what did they do? Well, it says they did exactly what the Spirit told them to do. They set them apart, they laid hands on them, they prayed for them, and they sent them out. You all sent out some of your own members here to go to Honduras. Was that just a couple of weeks ago or yeah, yeah, the, the sickness is still on some of you folks, I think. That's, that's okay. That's part of the cost of going. That's part of the cost of going. Sometimes you get sick. We're going to read that sometimes you might get stoned halfway to death, which happened to the Apostle Paul on this mission trip. I'm so thankful none of y'all got stoned halfway to death. But that might not just happen places like they went to. It might happen in places that you might go to someday with the gospel of Christ. I pray not. I'm not hoping, I'm not wishing that on anybody. The gospel of Christ is worth being set apart to go and share it with a neighbor. The gospel of Christ is worth getting a bug that's going to cause you to cough and sneeze and sniffle and have a fever and suffer for a while, it's worth that. Amen. It might be worth some of us giving our life for. It is worth that. 
This was a pivotal point, like there were other pivotal points in the sharing of the Gospel of Christ worldwide. Like prayer meetings that happened. No doubt, when the Gospel went over a little, a little strand of ocean, you remember that Paul the Apostle later on had a dream, he had a vision in the night, and it, he saw somebody from the other side saying, come over and help us. And they, uh, no doubt, prayed. And they went across and they spread the gospel. It was the beginning of the gospel going into that part of Europe. And no doubt there were prayer meetings when the gospel went forth into, through North Africa and then down into Africa. And when the gospel spread up into England where some of our ancestors came from. And Germany and North Europe and all over the place. And then when it came across the Atlantic Ocean to North America. And then when somebody as... Brother, you said that probably, not probably, about 200 years ago, it fell on the hearts of folks to say, there should be a church in this little community here. No doubt they had prayer meetings. And, and foundational points all along the way were, are we going to just sit and just be glad for ourselves? Oh, we've got a church and we are believers. Are we going to say, no, it's got to go further. It's got to go on. And so let's plant a church in Smithfield. Let's plant a church in Christiansburg, where we used to be. Let's plant a church here and there, and let's go forth with the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. This was one of those pivotal points, foundational points. In fact, this is where you might say it all started. International missions. Antioch, Syria. Praise God that it did. Praise God, they were obedient to the call of Christ, who after all had said, uh, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. All nations. It takes some sending out to get that done. And so the Holy Spirit directed them and said, all right, it's time, church of Antioch. Uh, you're not going to hire somebody from back in Jerusalem to do this, by the way. No, the Lord said, from among your midst, here's five of you leaders, five of you Christians, set aside two of them, and he names them, and the rest of y'all pray for these two, lay your hands on these two, and send them out. And they did that. They were obedient to the call of God. Praise God that they did that. Are we part of that? Did that all end back there? That was 2,000 years ago. Nope. It's still going on today. Smithfield Church is a part of that, sending out and going and praying for and enabling and providing for that mission to go forth in obedience to the calling of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, I want us to think about, I don't know how many points I've got to this message. I think it's three and a half. But the first point is this. Who is involved then in this gospel mission? Who is involved in it? Now these five that are in these first five verses that I named just a moment ago. Two of them are pretty famous. The other three, uh, Lucius 
and Simeon, who's called Niger, and Manian. Those three are not too famous. We don't know anything about them really except what is written here. Two of them are famous, Barnabas and Saul, who became Paul. Who's involved in going forth? Some are well-known folks. Some are leaders. Some are people who suffered, obviously, and will be even among us. Some are the people that are not so well-known. They're common, average, everyday Christians like us. And God needs all that working together to accomplish the purpose that he has, which is to take this message of how God deals with sin and deals with sinners. He dealt with sin on the cross of Jesus Christ and his rising from the dead guarantees that it's dealt with. And now he wants to shower forth and pour forth his mercy on people from every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. That message has got to go forth and God uses all kinds of people like Simeon called Niger. The word Niger means black. Evidently he was a black man. Didn't say where he's from. And Lucius of Cyrene. Where's Cyrene? It's on the North African coast. It's in the North African coast. Uh, two Africans and a guy named Manan or Manian. Who in the world is this guy? It says he was a member of the court of Herod the Tetrarch. You know who this Herod was? This is Herod Antipas. He was a Tetrarch. Who was Herod Antipas? He's the guy who married or who took the wife of his brother. And John the Baptist condemned this man. And this man arrested John the Baptist and threw him in prison. And ultimately, John the Baptist lost his head to this guy. And now, not this guy, but to, to Herod Antipas. And this guy, Armanian, grew up in the household, the same household as this, as this Herod grew up in. I don't know if he was a cousin. I don't know if he was a slave. We don't know. But he lived in that household. Sweet justice it is that now the Lord, through his Holy Spirit, has called this Manian who grew up with Herod Antipas. And he's going to send him out to preach. He's going to, he's going to be involved in the sending out of the gospel preachers to take the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ around the world. That's the kind of thing God does. And only God does. And then there are these two others, well-known famous folks, Barnabas, and Saul. Early in the book of Acts, Barnabas has a prominent place. He's the first person that's ever mentioned that he sold his lands. Sold his land. He had farms and he sold them. And he took the money and he laid it at the apostles' feet. Because it says the love of Christ was so rampant and so crazy that people wanted to love each other. We sang about loving one another. Just a little bit ago. These people so much loved each other in Christ that they would go out and sell a few acres. Say, we, the, the, the poor folks in our church need support and they need help. So what did they do? They sold their land. Barnabas is the first one that's named that he did that. He was called the son of encouragement. He was an encourager. 
he was more prominent than Saul. You notice it says Barnabas first. Out of all five leaders, Barnabas first. And then Saul. And even when the Holy Spirit speaks, he says, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul. Saul comes along. The Lord changes his name to Paul. He's set apart ultimately as an apostle. God uses famous, strong personality people. And God uses weak, unknown, unfamous, uh, unnamed people in his great enterprise of taking the gospel of Christ around the world. We're all looking at one another. Not too many famous people here. None of us are very famous except among our families and our friends, probably. Some of y'all might be more famous than I know. If you are, I want to hear about you. God's got more unfamous people than he's got famous people. And he uses the whole lot in what he's doing. If the Lord God Almighty wanted to get the gospel out, couldn't he have decided to do it with angels? Couldn't he have said, well, I'm, I'm going to raise up a core of angels and I'm going to divide them all into battalions and divisions and I'm going to send them all over the world preaching the gospel. I guess he could have done it that way since he's God. But he chose not to. He decided to use people like Mannion, Lucius, Simeon, Chad, John, Susan, all of us. Who's involved in this great mission of taking the gospel of Christ around the world? We are. Well, how do, I, how do I know that? I don't want to assume that that's... You shouldn't assume that that's true. Because it says here the Holy Spirit specifically told these two to go. And I'm not the Holy Spirit, so I, it's not up to me to announce. I've decided you all are to be involved in this great enterprise. But I remember that the Lord Jesus had a thing or two to say about this. And the Great Commission, what is the Great Commission? Jesus... Uh, he died on the cross for the sins of sinners. He rose again from the dead. Then he told his disciples, here's what you are to do. Go and make disciples in all nations. And baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And teach them to do, to keep, to obey everything that I've commanded you. Which includes, go and make disciples of all nations, doesn't it? If everything that he commanded the disciples was everything, love one another, uh, be kind to one another, forgive one another, and go make disciples and teach them to do what I've told you to do. So, none of us are off the hook then. We are all to be involved in the taking of the gospel of Jesus Christ around the world. Every believer in Christ. Everyone who says, I belong to Jesus. Well, then you're in the mission corps. All of us. 
some way, somehow. Now, not all of us should go out tomorrow and sell all of our lands and cars and our everything and uproot ourselves and we're all going to go to, where did they go? They went to Turkey, the nation of Turkey, Western Asia. It's called Asia Minor. We're not all called to do that. Just like these three others, Manian, Lucius, and Simeon, they stayed back in Antioch. And they prayed, and no doubt they gave. You all have an offering, I'm sure, that you help support the mission enterprise around the world. If you don't, start one. I bet you do. And give, and pray, and go when you have opportunity. And it might be that your going and my going might not be so much to go to Honduras or to Turkey or to South Africa or wherever. It might be to go across our backyard fences and to speak to our neighbor. Be a good place to start. Or the neighbor down the street. Or the people that we work with. Or our cousins that still yet are under the weight and the condemnation of their sin because they've not put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You mean the mission of, of getting the gospel out is that close? It, it's even, it even counts if I go across the backyard and tell my neighbor about the Lord? It sure does. It sure does. Oh, God, help us to do that. Who's involved? You and me. Famous ones and unfamous ones. Because that's how the Lord ordained it to be. What a motley crew he launched out. What about, what about the last guy on that list? How does he qualify to be a goer? His name is Saul of Tarsus. How famous was he before he came to Christ? He was real famous. Who was he? What was he? He was a persecutor of the church. He's the one who so opposed the church that he, he got papers and orders that he could go to Antioch and erect go to Damascus and arrest people and throw them in prison, men and women. He was famous, all right. How does he qualify to go forth with the gospel message of Jesus Christ? Because God knocked him off his horse and saved his soul. And he became a Christian, a believer in Christ. And the Lord told him, when he saved him, he said, I've got some stuff for you to do. And it's going to involve... Speaking the gospel of Christ to kings and is also going to involve a lot of suffering. Saul of Tarsus. Or put your name in there. It might be that you'll speak the gospel to kings and it might be that you'll speak the gospel to people who will hate you for it and may even persecute you. We'll read a little bit more about that in just a minute. So there's who is involved. And then the second point is this, is what did these witnesses of Christ say? What did they say when they're going to witness to people, they're going to talk to people, they're going to spread the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ who brings together the justice of God and the mercy of God together on the cross where He died for sinners like us. It, been, it should not be a surprise uh, to us what they said. 
they're preachers after all. They're people who believe in the Lord Jesus. And so they spoke the truth. They spoke the truth. They were being sent out by the Holy Spirit. And so um, I want us to think about this very thing. The Lord sent them out. They were teachers. They were prophets. Teachers and prophets have words to speak. And they say something. And it, it says, the Lord Jesus said that John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now, after he rose from the dead. That's what he told his disciples. So the Holy Spirit of God speaks now in this church at Antioch, and, and it's the Holy Spirit who sets them aside and says, I'm sending you out. And so what's the Holy Spirit going to give them to speak? He's going to give them the Word of God. Because the Word of God is from the Spirit of God. It says, in fact, that the Word of God is breathed out by God Almighty. Breathed out. Where do we read about God breathing and God speaking and things happen? Isn't that in the very beginning of the Bible? It says that God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God said, let there be a firmament fixed, and there was a firmament fixed. Is, am I right in that? God speaks, God says, and things happen. Jesus said, you all wait in Jerusalem after he rose from the dead, before he ascended into heaven to go back to the Father. He said, you all wait in Jerusalem until power comes down upon you. And how did that happen? The Holy Spirit came down on the day of Pentecost. And they were enabled then to go forth and to speak. Now, they didn't become little gods. We're going to be very careful to make sure. They're still just people. But God's breath, you might say, is in them. And the breath of God is a creative thing. Now what's he creating? Not giraffes and worms and um, cattle and mountains and rivers. What's he creating now? New life. A new creation. He's raising people from the dead, those who were dead in their trespasses and sins, and making them children of God. That takes a miracle to make that happen. So what does he give to them to speak? He gives them the Word of God. And when the Word of God is spoken, things happen. Creation happens. New creation happens. And that's exactly what they did. In verse 4 and 5, that in chapter 13, Acts 13, and 4 and 5, it says, So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed what? The Word of God. The Word of God. They were enabled. They were provided for. They were equipped for the work that God had set them to do because they had the Word of God. What are we going to do when, when we're called to share with our cousin, with the villager, villagers down in Honduras, when that cranky boss that you've got 
she needs or he needs the gospel of Christ just as much as anyone. Uh, those in your neighborhood, what are we going to tell them? What are we going to say to them? We, are we going to you know, try to uh, come up with something to say? You know, there are all kinds of wonderful plans and organizations and uh, methods to share the gospel of Christ, and some of them are great and wonderful. The more great and wonderful ones are the ones that rely more and more on the word of God to be spoken. It might be handy and helpful for us to tell them our story. That's wonderful. Tell them your story. Tell them how the Lord grabbed hold of your heart. But most of all, what they need to hear is the word of God. They need to hear the story of Jesus as is written in his word. And that's what they did. The first thing that they said when they went down, it says, they proclaimed to them the word of God. So who's going? These two, Barnabas and Saul, and you and me. And what are we going to say? We're going to tell them the word of God. Look on down in the same chapter in verse 32. We're going to read some of this in a minute, but just skip down to verse 32. Where it says, this is what they preach. We bring you the good news that what God has promised to the fathers, he has fulfilled in us as children by raising Jesus. They preach the good news. The good news is that story of Jesus' death on the cross for our sin, his burial and his resurrection from the dead. And that there's a promise in all of that, that if you'll come to this Savior and believe in him, you will be saved, forgiven from all of your sin in him. They proclaimed the word of God. They brought, they preached the good news. Look on into chapter 14. We're not going to read much from 14, but you've got to see this. In verse 6 and 7 of chapter 14, it says, they learned it. There was an attempt. There was going to be an attempt made on the life of Barnabas and Saul. People had rocks in their hands. They're going to try to stone them to death. It says, they heard of it, and they fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lycaonia and of the surrounding country. In verse 7, it says, and there they continued to preach the gospel. So they went proclaiming the word of God. They went with this message, the message of the good news. And here it says, they preached the gospel. They continued to preach the gospel of Christ. What are we going to say to our neighbors, our bosses, our, our cousins, our uncles, our aunts, our children, our grandchildren? What are we going to say? Tell them the good news about Jesus. Proclaim the word of God to them. That's what they were enabled to do. That's the provision God made for them. He didn't tell them. Here's an entire library of books from wonderful authors. You know, take this and go to where I'm sending you. They would have been pretty packed down if he did that. No, he said, take my word. Take the gospel of Christ. Preach that. And you'll see people come to life in Christ. I, heard, I got a preview. I heard the story when, I, when Joy and I came this morning. That amazing thing. Some of you all went to Honduras. You went to houses, and I guess you knocked on the door. I don't know. Joy and I got to go to Brazil a couple of times and where we shared the gospel of Christ, and they don't knock on the door there. 
because most of them don't have doors. In this village where we were, they didn't, they didn't have, to, I didn't see too many doors. They would go and you get to the house and you clap, which is knocking at the door. And the folks on the inside, they come out and they say, who are you? Where are you from? You don't look like us around here. We said, well, we're from Kentucky. They said, where's Kentucky? It doesn't matter. They were so welcoming and so glad, and they said, come on in. And when we got in there and they said, come on in, they'd say, wait a minute, before you start talking. And they would go to their neighbor's house, and they'd go over there and knock on the door, and they would say, come on over to our house because there's some people here who want to tell us something. And they would get a whole bunch of people in there with chairs, and they would say, okay, tell us what you want us to hear. There's an open invitation there. If somebody ever said, tell us what we need to hear, tell them. What are you going to tell them about Jesus? How are you going to do that? Use the Word of God. What part of the Word of God? Well, any of it would be good, but focus on the gospel. The good news of Jesus coming and dying for sinners and rising from the dead and now promising that whoever would believe in him would have eternal life. Tell them that. And so that was told to some of the folks in Honduras. And guess what? Some of them received that word and believed. Praise God. That's the kind of thing that God does, and only God can do that. And what does he use? He uses his word. And how does he get the word proclaimed? He brings down a core of angels from heaven, and they go out and they, no, we already decided he doesn't do that. He uses people like the people seated in these pews. Some famous ones like Paul and Barnabas and some not so famous like the folks in Smithfield where we are today. And they proclaim the gospel of Christ and they proclaim the truth. And this God enabled and God provided for work of awakening sinners, waking them up out of darkness and bringing them to the light of life and a relationship with this merciful and gracious and saving God. It's accomplished by men and women, boys and girls, opening our mouths and speaking the truth, the gospel of Christ. There's no magic in it. There's no secret plan. There's no core of people that we can hire and we'll go down to the seminary somewhere and we'll find a bunch of them because they're so educated and trained. I've got nothing against seminary. I went to one or two. No, his plan is to use his people who are called by his name to go and proclaim to other people who are not yet called by his name who need to hear of this Savior, Jesus Christ. And that's who goes, and that's how it's done. In chapter 13, let me begin reading what they actually preached in verse 26. This is Paul preaching. And I'm not going to read this whole sermon, lest you accuse me of doing a whole sermon inside of another sermon. I'm only going to read a little bit of what he preached, but this is what he preached. This is Acts 13, beginning in verse 26. Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham 
and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation. That's what they preach, the message of this salvation. Verse 27, for those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him, that is, they didn't recognize Jesus, nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him. And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. And we bring you this good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus. As also it is written in the second Psalm. I said that they preached the word of God. Here it is. He's reading scripture. He's quoting scripture. This is from the Psalms. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption. He has spoken in this way. I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he says also in another Psalm, you will not let your Holy One see corruption. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But whom God raised up did not see corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him everyone who believes is freed is justified from everything from which you could not be freed or justified by the law of Moses. He preached the good news of Jesus Christ. He spoke to them the word of truth. He quoted the Psalms and said, this is what happened. And, and what was contained in that message? The death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the promise that whoever would believe in him would receive the forgiveness of sins and would be freed or justified from all the things from which you could never be freed or justified through the law of Moses. That's good news. Church, that's good news that many of you, I hope most of you, I wish all of you were those who would say, I've believed that, I received that message Last year, 10 years ago, 25 years ago, when I was 10 years old, or when I was 30 years old, or when I was 50 years old, whenever it was, God freed you from your sins. He justified you. He declared you righteous in His sight when you believed on Christ. And now, we're going to hold that in and cover it up and say, that's mine. Isn't that wonderful? Well, it is wonderful for you and me. But it is to be wonderful to a whole world full of folks who don't yet know. And who's going to tell them? We are. Well, I thought the professional missionaries were going to tell them. Isn't that what they're hired for? We, spend, we send money to hire a bunch of missionaries. Let them go out and do it. Well, they ought to do it too. But we're part of that. We're either giving or we're praying for or we're going ourselves. Or we're going to the backyard fence. Or we're going to the next family reunion. And are there folks there who need to hear this good news this message of the salvation of Jesus Christ, there are. 
in your family and mine. Who's going to tell them? Well, let's go see if we can conjure up Barnabas and Saul. We'll send them. Now it's too late. They're dead and buried. We've got a whole new generation of Barnabases and Saul's and Mannion's and Lucius and Simeon's sitting right here. And will God sure enough save people that way? That's what He does. If we share the good news, people will hear and they will believe. That's how they respond. But all of them, do they respond that way? So here's, here's point number three. How do people respond to this message? Well, some believe and are saved. If you'll read on down through this chapter and chapter 14, you'll see people excited to have heard the gospel of Christ and they believe. And in fact, it says some of them beg. Well, let's read on a little bit further. This is Acts 13. Along with the preaching of the good news and, and the invitation to come to Christ is this, a warning. In verse 40, Paul said, Beware therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish, for I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe, even if one tells it to you. Well, that doesn't sound like a very nice part of the message, Paul. Why'd you have to throw that in there? It was such good news. Jesus came and he died for our sins and he rose from the dead and now we can be forgiven of our sins. God is just and he is the justifier of the one who believes in Christ. He brings the mercy of God and the justice of God together. What a wonderful story. Why did you have to throw this warning in there? Be careful because in some of you who hear this message, you're going to scoff and you're going to reject it. But many are going to be excited over it. In verse 42, what does it say? As they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. They were so excited at what they'd heard. They said, we're going to come back next time. And we want you to preach this all over again because we want to hear it again. And maybe they're going to bring their neighbors or their children or their cousins or their uncles or their aunts or their co-workers. And they're going to hear it and that's what's going to happen as we go to Honduras or we go across the street and tell people about Christ. Some of them are going to be so excited and they're going to receive it right then and there. Some of them are going to be those that you've got to go back and tell them again next week. And you've got to pray for them during the week and you've got to go back again the next week and the next month. And maybe it takes six months or maybe it takes a year or maybe it takes... Ten years of hearing the gospel before they yield their hearts to Christ. How many people here, the first time you heard the gospel, you believed and you were saved that hour? Nobody's raising their hand. Why? Because it, yet, it many times doesn't happen that way. Most of us heard the gospel a hundred times. Dozens of times. Maybe a thousand times before we believe. So even if there are scoffers who reject it at the first, 
Keep on telling them the good news of Christ. And the breath of God, spoken as the Word of God, will pierce hearts and save souls and bring many to know and to love and to follow the Savior, Jesus Christ. Some of them were so excited, they said yes and amen. We cannot wait till next week to hear it again. But that wasn't the only response, was it? Even on that very day, it says some of them were jealous and some of them rejected and some of them said, we hate that you're preaching this message. We do not want to hear it and we don't want anybody else to hear it. And it says, you look at verse 50 in chapter 13, the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. They said, away with you. We will not hear your message. How can this be? We shouldn't wonder that it's this way. Didn't it happen that way with Jesus? Who was the best communicator of the good news? Would that be Paul or Barnabas? Maybe Jesus himself, I think. And so Jesus went about doing good, healing all who were oppressed of the devil, it says in this very book of Acts. Full of grace and mercy and love. And everybody fell in love with him. Is that right? No, that's not right. Many people hated him. They wanted to stone him several times. They took him out to the edge of the city with rocks in their hands. We're going we're gonna to cave your head in today. This is the last day you'll ever bother us with those crazy words. And finally, they did what to him. They crucified him. There are many who will hear the gospel and respond with, with open hearts and open arms and say, Jesus, oh, come, save me. Forgive me, and I want to follow you all the rest of my days, the rest of my life, and live with you in heaven forever. And some will say, we hate the message that you're bringing. Don't ever dare to speak those words again to us. It's what they told the apostles in Jerusalem, remember? They said, don't, don't speak of that name ever, ever again. Never mention Jesus' name again. Don't you dare speak that name. Don't you dare tell us that we crucified him. And so they all shut up, right? No, it's not right. They said, you judge whether it's better to serve, to obey God rather than men, but we're going to obey God. Are we going to obey God? Are we going to say, but it's too hard. People don't like it. My boss won't like it if, he, if I say the gospel to him. Cousin Jane won't like it if I speak the gospel to her in her home. She'll say, don't ever say that name again. So what do we do? We preach Jesus. And many will hear and believe and be saved. Well, as we close, there's a summary of these things a couple of summary statements here 
in this 13th chapter of Acts, it says that they, they went, they preached, they came back around again. Paul finally was stoned in one of these little towns he went to on this mission trip. They weren't very good, they weren't very good aim because they didn't kill him. They tried their best, but the Lord saved his life. And it says after, he, after they did that to him, he went back into the same town where they had stoned him and tried to kill him. He went back to the same town. Now, can you imagine that? I can't imagine me doing that. And I doubt if some of y'all would do that because you've got more sense. But Paul didn't have much sense when it came to that. He went right back. He went right back. He went right back speaking the truth. And he said this to them, to the ones who believed, he said, he encouraged them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. That's part of the gospel message too. It's not all easy street. It involves some hardship. And there's another summary message in chapter 14, and then we're done reading. In the end of the chapter, they go back to where they came from. Antioch, where the church was, where they were sent out. They went back, and it says in verse 26, they, they sailed into Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. Isn't that amazing? An open door of faith to the Gentiles where they went to preach the gospel. But that's not all that happened. They were bold enough to say this. We were sent out and we accomplished, we fulfilled the work that God sent us to do. But Paul, not everybody believed. How did you fulfill it? The fulfilling of the work was not that everybody believed. It was taking the gospel of Christ. And some will hear it and believe and some will reject it. I don't know everybody in here. I trust many of you know this Lord Jesus. But the gospel of Christ preached doesn't only open hearts to faith. It also uncovers hearts that are in love with the darkness and sin. And so they accomplished what they set out to do. They preached the gospel and some believed and some said, no, I hate that Jesus and I don't want anything to do with him. The, the purpose of God and the gospel is accomplished in both ways. I don't know if there's anyone here who has so far been one to harden your heart against the gospel. You've heard the gospel this morning. It either is opening your heart to faith in this Savior, Jesus Christ, or it's opening your heart to see, to have exposed the darkness that is still there. If that's the case with anyone here, I urge you, I call you in the gospel way I command you. That's the way, that, that's the way it was said. I command you, because God commands you, to repent and to come to this one and only Savior. His name is Jesus. And to believe this gospel, which is He died for sinners on the cross. 
He bore our sins there. He was buried and He rose again the third day and now calls everyone, come to Me. Believe in Me and receive life. Eternal life. Life forever and ever in the presence of the Father. Oh, don't turn away from this Christ, this Savior, Jesus. Receive Him even today. Father, we praise You. We are so thankful that You have appointed women and men all through the history of the church to share the Gospel. People shared the Gospel with us. And Father, You are such a gracious God. You sent Your Son, Jesus, to die for us. He rose from the dead and now extends this promise that whoever would believe in Him would have everlasting life. Lord, let there be life today. There's a heart here still yet dead unto You. Lord, we pray that You'd awaken them from their sleep and give them eternal life as they would trust and believe in and call upon the name of the Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray in His name. Amen.